1: Hello and welcome to a History of Europe Key Battles podcast. This set of episodes is about the War of Spanish Succession from 1701 to 1714. And this is the first part of four. When a new century dawned in the year 1700. Europe was in a moment of relative peace. The Holy Roman Emperor, Leopold I, had just concluded the Treaty of Karnovitz with the Ottomans to end war on the Austrian Habsburg's eastern front. Only a couple of years before that, the powers of Western Europe had agreed to the Treaty of Rysvig, ending the Nine Years' War. It wasn't to be very long, however, before war reared its ugly head once more. The king of Spain, Charles, or Carlos II, was dying. Charles had become a king at the age of four in the year 1665 and throughout his life had suffered appalling physical ill health. By the age of six, he had had measles, chickenpox, rubella and smallpox, each of which was then potentially fatal. As the only surviving son of Philip IV of Spain, with expectations low that he would produce an heir the question of succession was, for a long time, prominent in European politics. Charles had blondish hair, a long face and pronounced jaw, common to many Habsburgs, so much that he spoke and ate only with difficulty. The deformity may have been due to inbreeding, but in the absence of genetic material, this remains speculation. Benjamin Curtis, in his book, The Habsburgs, The History of a Dynasty, writes that although Charles was disabled, he was not completely incapable. Quote, his development was slow, but he was not unintelligent. He was in fact self-aware, but with a weak will and an inability to concentrate. He remained mostly a dynastic figurehead and a political pawn. End quote. Charles's sad life and physical infirmities in some ways mirrored the weakness of the Spanish monarchy during this time. In the first half of the 17th century, Spain still enjoyed its golden age, a period of flourishing in arts and literature, coinciding with its political apogee. The kings of Spain ruled also Portugal, the Spanish Netherlands, and much of Italy, including Naples, Sardinia, Sicily and Milan, as well as an expanding empire across the globe, the Americas and the Philippines. In the year 1659, two years before Charles was born, war between Spain and France was concluded with the Peace of the Pyrenees, in which Spain ceded small but strategic territories in and around Flanders, and in the Pyrenees border between the two countries. Then, in sixteen sixty eight, after a decades long struggle, Portugal regained its independence from Spain. In the Franco-Dutch War of sixteen seventy two to sixteen seventy eight, Spain lost still more territory, most notably French Comté, historically the county of Burgundy. Then, in the Nine Years War, sixteen eighty eight to ninety seven, the weakness of the Spanish military and bureaucracy became ever more evident. In the first years of Charles's reign, government was managed by his mother, Mariana of Austria, and her favourites. A key figure in the Spanish court was Charles's half-brother, Don Juan José, an illegitimate son of Philip IV. He was a man of some talents, having served as viceroy in Sicily and the Spanish Netherlands. But after Juan José's failures commanding the army sent to retake Portugal in the early 1660s, Philip's trust in his bastard son waned, and he was persuaded by Mariana not to legitimise him. However, he overcame to some extent the taint of his illegitimate origins, and in 1676 had sufficient backing from the aristocracy to muster an army and essentially overthrow Mariana. Juan José immediately set about work on reform to address the monarchy's problems of inflation and trade, but his life was cut short at the age of 50. The Prime Ministers who followed also tried to effect reform, but the regime was never stable enough to make the necessary changes to modernise the country. In the 1690s, power was exercised by Charles II's wife, Maria Anna of Neuburg, and a faction of German and Spanish nobles. The situation for ordinary Spaniards was bleak. Agricultural output languished, and the population plummeted due to famines, plagues and migration. At the same time, the last lights of Spain's golden age flickered out. The intellectual life of the country stagnated under the overzealous sway of the counter-Reformation church, distrustful of ideas from outside, such as the revolution in science. The weakness of leadership epitomised by the scheming of different aristocratic factions, was described by an English ambassador. Quote, This country is in a most miserable condition. No head to govern and every man in office does what he pleases without fear of being called to account. End quote. By the 1690s the question of the Spanish succession had become acute. Charles II remained childless and his hopes of an heir faded The great powers began their manoeuvres for the acquisition of his inheritance. In the Treaty of Ryswick of 1697, the King of France, Louis XIV, could afford to be generous to Spain. His aim was to secure the Spanish crown for his Bourbon dynasty, and there was hope of achieving this by diplomacy rather than war. The priority for both the two leading dynasties of the continent, the Bourbons and Habsburgs, was to prevent the other from securing undivided inheritance, since this would risk the continent becoming dominated by their great rival. The compromise found was to pass the inheritance of Spain and its empire to a third party. The man chosen was the five-year-old great-grandson of Philip IV, Prince Joseph Ferdinand of Bavaria. The maritime powers, the English and Dutch, also agreed as they had less to fear from a Bavarian than a French or Austrian succession. Unfortunately, the young prince died suddenly on February 3rd, 1699, which reopened the whole issue. A further partition treaty was agreed between Louis and William III of England, which allowed a Habsburg succession in Spain and compensation for Louis with territory in Italy. However, this was unacceptable to Emperor Leopold, one of whose priorities was extending Austrian influence into northern Italy on his southern flank. The Empire was in an unusually strong position after a succession of military victories against the Turks and taking control of Hungary and Transylvania. Leopold was perhaps overconfident, and certainly lacked the decisive action required to assert what he believed were his rights. The Emperor was lethargic and timid in his decision-making in his youth, and even more so now he was in his sixties. Surrounded by equally old advisers, he misjudged European politics and also the state of opinion in Spain. He intended the Spanish crown for his second son, Archduke Charles, but was the oldest Joseph would reign in Central Europe, but this would be difficult to achieve. Louis XIV, meanwhile, ideally wanted the succession for his grandson, Philip of Anjou, whose claim was based on the fact that both his own and his son's mothers were Habsburgs. The paramount concern of the Spanish nobility was to avoid the breakup of the empire's territories. They did not trust the Austrian Habsburgs to rule in the realm's best interests, suspecting them of being distracted by their interests in Central and Eastern Europe. Charles II actively disliked his second wife, Maria Anna, Leopold's daughter, who was pushing hard for Austrian succession. In his final days, as he sank towards his deathbed, Charles was probably only dimly aware of what was going on around him, The Archbishop of Toledo, prominent in the pro-French faction of the Spanish court, took charge of the king's sick chamber and barred the Austrian queen from entering. A new will naming Philip of Anjou as successor with an undivided empire was drawn up on the 7th of October, 1700, and Charles finally passed away on All Saints' Day, the 1st of November.
0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
1: He had been ineffective and semi-invalid for many years, but was nevertheless well-liked among his subjects. The Austrian court were annoyed, but concern was also felt in London and The Hague. It was far from clear, however, what if anything could be done. Charles's will was valid and the Spanish were content with the arrangements. There were deep suspicions of Louis XIV's motives, but Parliament in London would almost certainly not vote for funds for a new war. The new King made his way to Madrid accompanied by an enormous retinue and fortified by substantial gifts of money from Louis. Philip IV was recognised as King of Spain by Bavaria, Savoy and Poland, and the Maritime powers accepted events as a fait accompli. On the 14th of April, Philip made his formal entry into Madrid and was cheered on by enthusiastic crowds. The young king was aged just 17, and it was arranged that he should marry Mary Louise, the 13-year-old daughter of Duke Victor Amadeus II of Savoy. It is likely war would have been avoided if it were not for Louis's subsequent decisions to try and double down on his newly-won gains. Displaying a remarkable lack of tact and restraint, Louis declined to give concrete assurances that the crowns of France and Spain would always be separated. Next, the French king insisted on sending troops to take over the Dutch-held barrier forts in the Spanish Netherlands. William III was enraged since from his point of view, losing this protective belt overturned the work of 20 years. Louis further alienated the English by having Philip V grant French merchants the coveted asiento, that is, the right to supply slaves to the Spanish colonies, and thus denying it to the English merchants. The final insult came when Louis, breaking the Treaty of Ryswick, acclaimed James II's son, James Edward Stuart, as the legitimate King of England, when his father died in September 1701. This act was crucial in swinging opinion in the English Parliament to accept the necessity of a new war. William and Mary had no children, which heightened fears among Protestants in England about another attempted Jacobite invasion, supported by the French. War erupted, therefore, as much because of the question of English succession as that of the Spanish. The next in line to the English throne was Mary's sister, Anne. But Anne's last surviving child, William of Gloucester, died in July 1700, which threw the succession wide open. In order to forestall the return of the Stuarts, and to maintain a policy of resistance to French expansionism, in 1701 Parliament passed the Act of Settlement. This effectively excluded the Stuarts, even if they abjured Roman Catholicism. Instead, the English succession was fixed on the electress Sophia of Hanover, who was daughter of James I, eldest daughter Elizabeth, and Frederick V of the Platinate, and her descendants so long as they were Protestant. The conflict in Europe thus was to shape British domestic politics and public discourse for much of the century. In 1701, William was able to resurrect the Grand Alliance. Emperor Leopold persuaded Frederick, elector of Brandenburg, to join by allowing him the title of King in Prussia. The elector of Hanover, George, was brought closely into the Anglo-Dutch alliance after the Act of Settlement, made likely he would inherit the English throne. Several other minor German princes also joined, subsidised by the English and Dutch. Unlike during the Nine Years' War, however, the Duchy of Bavaria decided to ally with France. Its elector, Max Emmanuel, was also the governor of the Spanish Netherlands. He was nervous about the revival of Austrian Habsburg power. He also had long-term imperial aspirations of his own, and hoped to reap the reward of a share of the Spanish inheritance from Louis XIV. The Duke of Savoy, Victor Amadeus, also sided with France. The terms of the Grand Alliance between the English and Dutch committed both to Use their utmost endeavors to recover the provinces of the Spanish Low Countries, that they may be a fence and a rampart, commonly called a barrier, separating and distancing France from the United Provinces. It also envisaged that the same role for the Duchy of Milan to contain France to her southeast. When William died in seventeen O two, the momentum for war was unstoppable. In fact, war had already begun in Italy. On the Italian peninsula was a complex mixture of imperial fiefdoms, feudal possessions of the papacy in various territories assigned long ago in the mid-16th century to Emperor Charles, which had left the King of Spain holding Naples, Sicily, Milan and Genoa as a vassal of the Emperor. Following bitter disputes between Rudolf II and Philip II, who were respectively the Austrian and Spanish Habsburg orders of the late 16th century, Over spheres of influence and authority in Italy, the Austrians eventually accepted the Spanish presence. But now the increasingly evident decline of Spanish power and continued French interference prompted efforts by Emperor Leopold and his court to re-establish Austrian control. Already in 1701, French cavalry advanced quickly through a friendly Savoy and Piedmont to secure Milan, a Spanish holding, and they were joined by 30,000 infantry under the command of Marshal Catinat and Marshal Tesset. Milan was a key part of French strategy, for to hold this region would effectively keep Habsburg, Austria, well right away from Spain, and much of the rest of Italy. Against this, Prince Eugene of Savoy marched south with an imperial army of roughly the same size. After seeming to threaten an advance on Milan and drawing French attention to that direction, Eugene then deftly moved over steep mountain passes in Vicenza. He outmaneuvered Catinat and struck Tesse at Carlopi, driving him back on the 9th of July 1701. The French lines of communication were now threatened, and Catena fell back again, but having lost the confidence of the king, was replaced by the Duke of Viroir. Viroir advanced against Eugène, who had seized the town of Chiari, and there, in a battle that lasted several hours, the Austrian army repulsed the French. After the armies went into winter quarters, Eugène tried to seize Cremona, This brazen attack resulted in the capture of General Villois, although French troops drove the imperial army from the town. In a stunning campaign, Eugène of Savoy, quickly earning himself a glittering reputation, had thrown back the French occupation of much of the north of Italy. This encouraged the Italian states to either support the imperial alliance or to at least stay neutral. The war of Spanish succession had begun inauspiciously for Louis, the worst was to come. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do so at Patreon.com. Please go to patreoncom Europe, where for three dollars a month you can gain some extra material. This includes recent episodes on the Great Turkish War, 1683 to 1699, which led up to the Great Battle of Zenta, 1697, and the Treaty of Karlovitz of 1699, whereby the Austrians made great gains against the Ottomans. It's always great to hear from you, either on the Facebook page, Twitter at KB KB for Key Battles, Or you can write to me directly, carl, at C-A-R-L, at historyeurope.net. I hope you can join me next time for the second part of the War of Spanish Succession. Until then, all the best and goodbye.